0: I don't know if I'm allowed to preach out of two passages, but I'm going to do it anyway, and we'll see how it goes. So, the first one that we're going to preach out of today is Ezra, Ezra chapter 7, verses 25 through 28. So, here in 25 to 28. You, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God, which is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges, that they may judge all the people who are in the province beyond the river, even all those who know the laws of your God. And you may teach anyone who is ignorant of them. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the Cain, let judgment be executed upon him strictly, whether for death or for banishment, or for confiscation of goods, or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to adorn the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem and has extended loving kindness to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. Therefore I was strengthened according to the hand of the Lord my God upon me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. And now if you'll turn over to the next book, Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2 verses one through eight. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Cain Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, so the king said to me, "Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart." Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, "Let the king live forever." Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the Cain, If it pleases the king," Broken hand here, sorry. <laughs> Let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through it until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress which is in the temple for the wall of the city and for the house which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was upon me. So we're at a point here in, in Scripture with the book of Ezra and Nehemiah where Israel has been exiled out of their land into a foreign land. This started first with the Babylonians when they laid siege to the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the gates in the temple, and they got brought into the city of Babylon. They became exiles. They became slaves to another country. And then as time went on there, pretty soon the Persians came in, and they uh, laid siege to Babylon, and they took the Israelites and those from Judah into captivity. And so for 70 years... The, the people of God have been in captivity to another country. They've been serving foreign kings. They've been serving foreign people. And they've been waiting for the day that God would open up the door and allow them to return to their land in Israel, return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. And what we have here in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah is that return. Return. We have the beginning of the book of Ezra, chapter 1, where God lays it in King Cyrus' heart that he would issue a proclamation that any man that wants to return with his friends and family to the, the region of Judah or the place of Jerusalem, that they're allowed to do so. And so they return, and they begin to build the wall, and of course there's opposition in that region. But they finally they're able to rebuild the temple, and when they rebuild the temple, they're waiting for that temple to be filled. And so we have here Ezra, who's being commissioned by the king. And, and what's really interesting about this commission is, as far as I can tell, Ezra approaches the king and basically says, hey, if you need somebody to go and restart that temple work in Jerusalem, I'm your guy. And as far as I can tell, Artaxerxes notices something in Ezra that he can trust, that he knows is not from Ezra, but it's from God. And so this this interesting exchange happens where Artaxerxes writes a letter commissioning Ezra to return and rebuild the temple and rebuild the temple worship for the community. And it's really an outstanding letter when you read chapter 7 of Ezra because Artaxerxes is putting God at the center of it all. Now you can read in there, there's some selfish motives that he has for sending Ezra and the Jewish people back to Jerusalem. And one of those selfish motives is that he wants to make sure that the wrath of God doesn't land on him. And so he, even, he basically says there in the beginning of the chapter, listen, we've got our gods in Persia, but just in case your god, Yahweh, exists, we would like you to go and rebuild your temple so that if he wants to come after us, we can point out, hey, listen, we allowed them to go back to the temple. So there's some selfish motive that Artaxerxes has. He says, I don't want God's wrath on me or my children. But he does lay claim to, To God's working in Ezra's life. And so we see this uh, both with with Artaxerxes to Ezra, and then we see it with Ezra to Artaxerxes. And so the first thing we have is what Artaxerxes sees in Ezra, and that is he sees the wisdom of God in Ezra. He says, Go with the wisdom of God that you would appoint magistrates, that you would lay down the law, that, that you would appoint judges, that you would execute those judgments over the region. Now, Ezra is a scribe and a priest. He spent his whole life studying the law and making sure that he understands the covenant. And so he spends his whole life reading the scriptures, reading every part of the law and trying to help Uh, his fellow countrymen figure out, how do we obey this? And then he's also preparing to go back to Jerusalem and to reinstitute temple worship. And so as he's studying the law, he's thinking ahead, I want to go and I want to execute the law in the temple, in the place of my fathers. And Artaxerxes sees that in Ezra and he says, well, that's the wisdom of God in you. So go with the wisdom of God as you go and study the law and appoint people to help you lead others in following the law of God. So King Artaxerxes notices the wisdom of God in Ezra, and then what else he notices is that Ezra believes in the law of God. So this is the covenant. This is what God had established with his people, that if they would follow his law, God would be their people. And, of course, the problem that they ran into as a country is that they ended up not following the law of God. And God gave them plenty of warnings. He sent them prophets over and over. And he would say, if you don't follow my law, I'm going to send you into exile. Well, sure enough, He sends him into exile. So Ezra grows up in exile in a foreign country where he's serving other people. And so he's probably studying the law with the intent, I never want this to happen to my people again. I'm going to study this law and we will obey it to the T. And Artaxerxes recognizes that in him. He sees that Ezra has studied well. And so when he goes, he's sending an expert. Not just an expert, he's sending somebody that believes in the law. It it was interesting, just the other day, I think it was yesterday, I I was uh, watching uh, one of those C-SPAN House committee hearings where the senators and representatives are questioning witnesses and people that are going to be appointed. And one of the senators asked an interesting question, He said, do you believe that this law, the one he was referring to, do you believe that this is a good law? And the man answering said, I will enforce the law. He said, I didn't ask you if you would enforce the law, I asked you, do you believe it's a good law? And what the senator was getting at is, if you don't think it's a good law, you're probably not going to enforce it that good. And so Ezra is not just going to enforce the law of God, he's going because he believes that the law of God is good. And he's going to share that with those that are in Jerusalem. So King Artaxerxes recognizes in Ezra something special that he wants to commission him to go and lead the way for the Jewish people to return to their homeland. Well, there's also something that Ezra notices about King Artaxerxes And that God is with him as well. The first thing he says after he receives this letter is he says, blessed be the God of our fathers who has put this in Cain Artaxerxes' heart. Now that's an important phrase. When, When he says the God of our fathers, the reference that he's making there is that these are the people of God. And when he says this is the God of my fathers, he's saying that this is a family affair. That we jewish people he 's saying God has always been with us from the day of Abraham, generations and generations ago, and he 's never left us and the point he 's making here is that Dad always takes care of us, Dad is always with the family, but now I recognize that sometimes he will lead others that are outside of our family. I think back to a time when I was a kid, I was in a, a peewee baseball. And I remember, and I'm sure you guys have heard this, a lot of you have probably said it, um, what do you say when your kid says, uh, that's not not fair? Life's not fair, that's right. My dad said that all the time. It didn't matter what was going on, life is not fair. Well, he was the coach of our baseball team, and I remember hearing him on the phone, and he was pleading with a dad to let his son play on the team. And I just I heard him say, no, no, it's okay. We can work around, and I want him on the team. And, and he was just really trying to get the dad to let his son play on the team. And, of course, here I am, my dad's son. I'm already on the team. I'm already in the household. He's taking care of me. And I remember when he hung up the phone, I said, what was that about? And he said, well... You know, so-and-so isn't going to let his son play anymore, and he won't explain why, and I just wanted him to know that we want him to play on our team. And he said, and, and I... says one of those moments you don't mean to be snarky with your parents, but you are, so it was forgiven. But, but I remember my dad saying, it's just not fair. What do you think I said back? <laughs> I said, but I thought life... And, I, and I, it was a legitimate question. I thought life wasn't fair. And I remember, you know, dad just, uh. <laughs> But I remember him saying, but when you can make it fair, you need to try. And so here I saw my dad, who always took care of me, now stepping outside of the family to look after somebody else and see if he can invite somebody else, to some extent, into what we were doing as a family. So Ezra's recognizing this is what God is doing. God is not leaving his people, but he's stepping outside of his people to do work within others that are not Jewish. I mean, you talk about Cain, Artaxerxes, he's as far from Judaism as you could think of. He was a pagan king. He was a... uh, uh, to some extent, an evil king because he was worshiping multiple gods and, and, and he was sending other religions back to build their temples because he was afraid that maybe he missed a god somewhere. And so the fact that Ezra recognizes, King Xerxes, God is using you whether you realize it or not. It's God, the God of my fathers, that is doing this within your life. Well, second, Ezra says that also God is showing his love within Ezra's life. And he makes the point, he says, God's loving kindness is being shown to me in front of the king and all of his counselors. What he's saying is, now everybody that sees that I am going back to rebuild my temple for my people Others are now seeing God's work in my life. See, Ezra is seeing this not just as a testimony that I'm receiving the love of God, he's actually making a testimony out of the fact that others around him are recognizing the love of God in his life. He's living as a witness so that others would know that Yahweh loves his people. And so he's giving this testimony, God's loving kindness is within me. And then he goes further and he says, not only is God's loving kindness within me and being shown to me, God's hand is guiding me back to my city. The strength of the Lord is bringing Ezra back and he's counting this as a witness to others that if they see what he and his people are doing, they're going to begin to believe in the one true God. So this is the work that's going on in King Artaxerxes' life and what's going on in Ezra's life. Now, if we fast forward quite a few years, we find ourselves in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a little different. As far as we know, he was a nobody. He he wasn't doing anything. I mean, as far as we can tell, all he did was he was a cupbearer to the king, which just simply meant that he was the right-hand man of the king. He just brought him his food. He brought him his drinks. He did whatever the king told him to do. And and in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, he he sends a report back and asks people in Jerusalem, what does the city look like? How is the city doing? And they report back and say it's destroyed still. There's no gates. There's no walls. It is still desolate. And when Nehemiah hears this, he weeps. And he prays to God and he just laments and and says, how can this be? How can they not have rebuilt the city yet? And he's passionate about what's going on in his home country. And so he prays to the Lord and he asks God, God, if I approach the king with this, would you go with me? And he even says he's afraid in his heart. But he prays to God, Lord, go with me as I approach the king today. And so he approaches the king, he brings him his cup, and, and something interesting is going on here. When these servants approached the king, they actually believed that, that the king didn't want to smell the servant's breath, the king didn't want to know who this the servant was nothing. Let's just put it that way. He wasn't friends with the servants. When the servant showed up, it was to bring the cup, it was to bring the food, it was to bring whatever I asked them, and that's all. And so they would approach with their mouth Covered so that they didn't offend the king, and also so that the king wouldn't even know who the person was. So they would show up, just the eyes showing, and and he would show up. And today, when Nehemiah walks up to the king, he doesn't put his hands over his mouth. He wants the king to recognize what's going on in his life. And it's almost comedic because now this is the first time probably that King Artaxerxes sees Nehemiah approaching and notices his face. It's kind of like, you know, when uh, what we went through in this last year with having to wear masks in some businesses. I was at a coffee shop uh, a few weeks ago, and I was sitting there, and, and this person just approaches me. Uh, and just stands there and says, Hi. And I've dealt with weird people before. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm good. So I said, Oh, hi, how are you? And he looked at me. The eye contact did nothing. I, and I was against a wall, too, so I couldn't really move back. And I said, Hi, again. And I said, I, I'm sorry. Uh, do, do I know you? And he, and he pulls his face mask down, and it was Dylan who plays the guitar up here. <laughs> Oh, bass, excuse me. That, that's what he cares about the most, that he plays the bass. Not that I didn't recognize him. So I didn't recognize him, and I see his face. What felt like for the first time, I was, oh, Dylan, I know who you are. Uh, so that's sort of what Xerxes is going through. This is the first time that he notices his servant's face. And what's the first thing that he says? Why are you sad? That question is funny to me. Why why wouldn't he be sad? He's a slave. What, What does he have to be happy about? But the king is so wrapped up in himself that in his mind he thinks this should be the happiest day of your life. You get to give food to the king of Persia, the largest empire in the known world. What are you upset about? And when Nehemiah answers him, he even says, there was fear in my heart. But he says, why shouldn't I be sad? I just found out that the city of my fathers, the city that my fathers were buried in, lies desolate, and there's no one there to rebuild it. And there's something goes on there, because King Artaxerxes says back, what would you request of me? Make an offer. What do you want me to do? And Nehemiah prays about it. And he says, allow me to go back and rebuild the city. Allow me to go back and build up the gates and the walls and let that place be a city once again. And I love that King's answer, when will you return? I'll let you go, when will you come back? And then basically says, let me know what you need. Writes him a blank check. Just says, if that's what's on your heart, if this is why you're so sad today, what do you want? Let me fix it. And Nehemiah, he takes that blank check and he runs with it. Because then he he just, and it's just boom, boom, boom. He says, okay, I need a letter. That way I can travel freely. I need a letter so that I don't be taxed. Also, can you spare some lumber? I need to rebuild a few things. And and he just starts to lay it all out and says, this is what I need. And Cainard Xerxes says, I'll let you do it. Go ahead. And so Nehemiah heads back. And we'll see later in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the next couple of Sundays what kind of work they do to rebuild the temple worship and to rebuild the walls of the city. But there's two points that we get from these passages here today as the people of God are headed back to their city to continue in their covenant with God. One of the main points here is being used by God. This is really important. I, I, I really want you to walk away with this. God will use whoever he wants to accomplish his will, even if that person doesn't give recognition to God. God will use even a pagan king like Artaxerxes to save his people. We see this here in these passages because Artaxerxes, as far as we can tell, Judaism is a small pocket within the country. He doesn't have to care about any of those people. He's got other issues going on within his land, and yet God places it within his heart to care about God's people. There is no doubt that God is u- using Cainard Xerxes for his will. There's also no doubt that God is using his own people for his will. And of course, we see this in Ezra and Nehemiah. We see that they are giving recognition to Cainard Xerxes, but then they're also receiving some recognition. People outside of them are noticing something's going on here. There's something different about Ezra and Nehemiah. There's something different about these two that the king of Persia is willing to give them a blank check to rebuild their city and reestablish their laws. So there's a recognition that's going on in their lives and there's a recognition that they're seeing in King Artaxerxes' lives. So now we come to our second point. So God will use anybody he wants, including us, followers of Jesus, So now we move on to our second point, which is how do we get recognized? How do we live a life out in the world so that others would see, you know, something is different in this person's life. They're worshiping a God that really does show his loving kindness, and they're worshiping a God whose strength is within their life. They're worshiping a God that I kind of want to give them a blank check and run with it. In fact, they're worshiping a God I want to follow. So how do we be recognized uh, in that capacity? Well, the first point is we can't be shy. We need to make sure that we are not shy when we're living our Christian lives among others. Uh, There's a point I heard a long time ago, and it it was simply that uh, our relationship with God is personal, but it's never private. It's personal. It's a one-on-one relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's not private. We should be sharing that with everyone we know. So we cannot be shy in our faith. We, we need to be willing to give God credit out in the open. We need to be willing to give credit where credit is due, and that is to God. The second point that we have here is to study God's word and to let it shape us. So we know that Ezra, in chapter 7, verse 10, Ezra uh, says about himself that that he grew up with a desire to study God's law. He grew up with a desire to study God's word. And, of course, we see how that shapes him into the person that Canard Xerxes sends to Jerusalem. And so, likewise, we're called to do the same thing. Now, the difference is, in Ezra's time... There wasn't a high literacy rate. There weren't that many uh, scrolls to go around, you could say. So there was only a select few that could really pass the test in order to go in and study the law. We've passed the test. If you can read and if you have access to the Bible, you are called to study it and you are called to let it shape you. So we're called to do this, and when we let the Word of God shape us, again, people will begin to recognize that there's something different in our lives. Uh, another story about my dad. He, he has retired from ministry now, and he's a substitute teacher in Muskegon, Michigan. And one of the things that, that he found himself doing is he was giving advice from the book of Proverbs. And, and he weighed the options. You know, okay, it, are they going to get upset because this is a public school and I'm sharing the Bible? And he thought, no, this is good advice. And so every day when the students came in, he'd write on the board uh, a verse from the book of Proverbs on how to live your life. And the teachers all love that because the Bible is good. The Bible gives good advice. The book of Proverbs is perfect for anybody that you want to share it with. But that's an example of studying the word, letting it shape you, and now realizing, I want to bring this into my everyday life. I want to bring this up in converse- conversations with others. Point number three, we are called to serve others exactly how we would serve God. And I think of, of Nehemiah in the fact that, that he had to serve wine to the king. I mean, here he is. He's exiled to another country. Not only exiled to another country, but now he has to go and he has to serve the king that's holding him exile. And as far as we can tell, when he does this, He's doing it as if though he's serving the Lord. And of course, we have that command here in the New Testament. Paul writes that. Serve others as you are serving the Lord. I believe we just went over that in the book of Ephesians, that we are called to go out, and whoever you're working for, if you have a boss, if you have a client that you're working for, if you're out in the community, treat others exactly how you would be serving God. And I tr- trust me, they will notice a difference in our lives when we do that. Point number four, recognizing when God is using others. Looking for moments in other people's lives where you're able to, even even if you just say the phrase, wow, that must have been from God. Wow, praise God that that happened to you. If anything good is in the world, give God credit for it. That gets the word out and that helps people recognize, oh, God is working, Not, not just in your life, but he could be working in my life, don't be afraid to, to, uh, to speak that over people and let them know God is using you in these ways. And then finally, point number five, and, and we'll close here. This goes along with the first point about not being shy, and, and that is be passionate about your relationship with God. Wear that on your sleeve. It to, I've said this before. Wear it to the point that people think you're a little weird. That's okay. There's a lot of weird people in the world. Stand out from them. Let your passion so come out of your daily life that others are recognizing. Why, why are you happy when everybody else is sad? Or maybe the other way around, like what Nehemiah was going for. Why, why are you sad when everybody else is happy? And you're able to share, well, because this is going on and it's contrary to God's law. It's contrary to what God has called us to do. Or I'm joyful because I trust in the Lord always and I'm not afraid of this. I know God will provide. So we're called here in this world to go out and and to wear our faith on our sleeve, wear our passion out in the world and also to recognize where God is working. I'm going to make this le- okay, I'll make one more point. But this sort of sums it all up, and then we'll close. Um, we call them God sightings. Make a list or, or, or write it down whenever you see it. Whenever you see God working in your life or other people's lives, make a point to write that down. Make a point to claim it wherever you're at. Make a point that in the situation when you recognize this is God at work, to let whoever you're with know this is coming from the Lord. That is a way to be recognized in this world. That is a way to show others that God's loving kindness, God's mercy, God's hand is strengthening our lives. Let's pray. God, we we thank you that you brought your people back to Jerusalem that you brought them back to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city gates, to reestablish worship, because we know that is within your heart to return to you. And Lord, as we leave this place, as we go out into the world, we ask, Lord, that you would uh, uh, show us where you are working. Show us who you're working in, Lord. Show us those people that maybe aren't following you, but you're doing a work in their lives and call us to call that out so that they know your loving kindness. And too, Lord, as we go out, let us be witnesses in this world for the work that you have done and the work that you are doing in our lives. Amen.